Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. At some point in just about everyone's life, an individual will take some time to really think about why they are here. At some point, a person will be confronted with this, and when we are confronted with these kinds of questions, we will eventually be confronted with the reality of God. These are the kinds of things that people tend to think about. We get confronted with these kinds of questions, and it's a very important struggle to have, a very important one, because these kinds of questions and these kinds of struggles will eventually direct a person to ask, is there a God or is there not a God? And if there is a God, who is this God? And how might I know this God? These are the kinds of questions that a person should be asking. And when we do that, at some point, I sincerely believe, I really do believe, that our God will find a way to reveal something to us about who He is. That He will find a way to reveal the truth about who He is, what He has done, what he has had to say, and the truth concerning us, the condition that we are in, the provision that he has made for us in salvation, the opportunity to not only be reconciled to him through the death of his son, but to also be saved by the restoration of his life, the restoration of the Holy Spirit within his creation. At some point, he will find a way, I really believe that he will find a way to share something about who he is with an individual. And when he does, when we are confronted with the truth that he reveals to us, then we have to make a choice. We have to choose, are we going to believe the truth that he has revealed? Or are we going to reject it? Are we going to believe the truth and respond to that and live according to the truth that has been clearly revealed to us, or are we going to ignore it and pretend that he never said it, that he never had anything to say to us at all, and just pretend that he does not exist and just go out and live our lives in a different way than what he would like. If we will believe, just believe the truth that he reveals, if we believe that, then we will respond we will respond to that by living our lives in light of the truth that has been revealed. Just something as simple as forgiveness. If we will believe that he has forgiven us of our sins, then we can live our lives believing that he does not hold our sins against us. And if that's the case, then that can set us free from the burden, from the bondage of guilt and shame that should legitimately exist on the basis of the sin and the evil that was committed, certainly we should be ashamed. We should live in a sense of bondage, in a sense of fear, of punishment, of consequence from God himself. 
We should anticipate divine intervention if sin is as evil as it truly is. But because of the forgiveness of God, he has set us free from that. Now, he did not set us free so that we could go out and continue to indulge our flesh without any concern with regards to who he is or what he's doing or why he made us to begin with. No, he has set us free so that we can turn to him and we can be loved by him. We can be accepted by him. And through that, a relationship can develop between us and our God. But in this program, what I would like to emphasize is the fact that truth will eventually be revealed and we will have to choose how we are going to respond to the truth that he has revealed. And that response, in my opinion, is what defines our faith. That our faith is defined by the response to the truth that has been revealed to us. And if we respond to that truth by believing that truth and living our lives, making decisions in our lives in light of that reality, if we do that, then we are expressing faith in our God. We are trusting in what he has revealed, and our faith is a reflection of our belief. So, I believe that faith is the response to the truth that has been revealed to us by our God, that we actually live our lives according to that truth that has been revealed. And if we do not, then we are not living according to faith. Our faith in what he has revealed would be weak. If we believe nothing about what he has had to say, then we have no faith at all. And if we believe a little bit, we kind of believe, maybe believe, yeah, we believe, you know, we believe enough that we will argue the point and we'll say that we really do believe that that's true, then that's a little bit of faith. That's something. It may not be what we would hope for. Perhaps we would like an individual to be willing to die before they would renounce what has been revealed to them. But if they don't feel that way, then that's fine. That just means that their faith is weak relative to how strong it might be otherwise. How important is the truth of God to you? How much conviction do you truly have concerning what he has revealed? Whether you have a little or you have a lot, it doesn't really matter a whole lot, not in the context of growth and maturity. It doesn't really mean a whole lot. The important thing is to just simply have some faith, some faith, because When an individual does not know their God, they have no faith, no real faith. They may believe many things. They may believe that they believe the truth, but they don't believe the truth if it's not what God has revealed. And so if they think that they believe the truth, but what they believe is not really the truth, then they might have faith in what they believe, but it is not the kind of faith that our God is referring to. That is the kind of faith that is faith in nothing, faith in nothing of value, faith in nothing of substance. It is faith in something that is not real, and because of that, the faith is not real. It can be real in the sense that the individual really wants it to be real. I can appreciate that. I can understand that. I've witnessed that on many occasions. And I can tell the difference. It's quite obvious to me. I can tell the difference between an individual who has faith in something that they really want to be true and an individual who has faith in something that they know is true, that without question is true. And they know this because the living God himself has expressed this to them. 
And when he does, there is no argument concerning this. There truly can be nothing more to say about it unless God himself will find a way to get through to this individual and tell them that what they think he said is not really what he had to say. At that point, it's an issue between them and their God. But what I want you to understand is that there can be a scale. There can be relative magnitude when it comes to faith. That a person can have a little faith and a person can have a lot of faith and it has a lot to do with how we respond to the truth that has been revealed to us. When I first came to know the Lord Jesus, when I first discovered who he is, I didn't have much faith at all. I was very religious. A good portion of my life was devoted to ritual. It was devoted to living according to the commandments of God. I was committed. I was devoted in many different ways. But my life was not really based on faith. It was based on law. It was based on obedience and repentance. It wasn't based on responding to the truth, except for the truth that this is good, this is evil, respond to that. But that's not the kind of faith that I believe our God has called us to. I believe that our God has called us to another kind of faith because of what has been revealed in the New Covenant. Forgiveness, for example, what are the implications of forgiveness? Well, the implications are very far-reaching, but one of the small things that we get to experience because of the forgiveness of sins is freedom from the law. We get to experience freedom from the law because the penalty for violating the law has already been taken by the Lord Jesus, and so there is no longer any penalty that can be applied to us. When I was living a life according to the law in the best way that I possibly could, which of course was not adequate, when I lived my life according to the law and it was revealed to me, the truth was revealed to me that he forgave me of all of my sins so that he could set me free from living according to the law, I I didn't believe that right away. I didn't respond to that truth right away. I heard that. Somebody told me that. I saw it in the scriptures. But, you know, it took a little while for me to consider trusting my God with regards to this. I did not respond in the way that I would now. I hesitated. I hesitated quite a bit. It took me well over three years to make that transition from living according to the law based on my performance, based on what I am doing or what I am not doing, to living a life of faith according to the grace of God, depending on what he had already done and what he is now doing. That was a big transition for me. And so between the time when I was living according to the law up until the time that I lived according to grace and the new covenant, when I was living according to the law, I had weak faith. And when I was living according to the new covenant that was established, my faith was much stronger. It was much stronger, and it, of course, has grown quite a bit since then. Now, what I want you to consider is that it is okay for a person to have weak faith. It's okay. We don't have to ridicule an individual who has weak faith. We don't have to condemn an individual who has weak faith. We don't have to go before them and show them that we are free to violate whatever law they believe we are still under. We don't have to 
put that in front of them and show them that we can do it and the lightning bolt is not going to come down from the heavens and strike us down in order to make the point? Why do that? Why offend somebody like that when they believe that you are violating God by engaging in such things? And these things can be as simple as the dietary laws or the Sabbath law or a festival of some kind. In Romans chapter 14, this is what Paul speaks about. This is what he talks about in Romans chapter 14, that in light of everything that our God has done for us, everything that Paul has described to us concerning the new covenant and what Jesus has accomplished for us between Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 13, everything concerning being set free from the law and what salvation is, and the implications of that salvation, that we come to this point in chapter 14, towards the end of the letter that he wrote, where we can seriously consider the fact that not everyone is going to believe what he wrote. Not everyone believes that. And they may never believe what he wrote. And yet they still might very well be saved. They may be saved because salvation is simple. Submit to your God according to his grace and mercy. Receive the free gift that he is offering and you'll be saved. You can still be very confused. You can still have weak faith. In fact, I would be surprised if you didn't. I don't know how you could have strong faith if you were just saved. It doesn't make any sense to me. Not according to what he has revealed to me concerning faith and the transitions that we experience as we grow and mature in our relationship with Christ Jesus. You should expect an individual to have weak faith if they just came to know the Lord. You should expect an individual to struggle with the issues concerning law and grace. And they should struggle with these things. If you are listening to me right now and you are a new believer in Christ Jesus... You should be having struggles. You should have confusion. You should have unanswered questions. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Be thankful for what he has revealed to you. And be thankful for what he hasn't revealed to you yet because maybe you can't take it. And be thankful for that. And know that he will do a work within you. He will grow you. And he will reveal things to you when you're ready. But between now and then, trust him. Trust Him with what He shows you. Trust Him with the small things, the little things, and enjoy the life that you have before you and live it. Live your life with the small things that He has revealed. And He will reveal greater things to you. And so your faith may be small at first, but He will continue to relate to you and work with you and your faith will grow. It will. It will be a reflection of the relationship that you have with Him. In many cases, this happens over a period of time. But do not make the assumption that time is the solution, because it is not the solution. I have questioned many believers who claim that they have been a believer for 30, 40, 50 years, sometimes longer. And I have questioned them with questions such as, so how would you describe the gospel? And they have no answer for that question. Does that mean that they're not saved? I don't think so. But I do believe that this is the kind of question that a person should be able to answer at least maybe five years after they got saved 
within five years? Is that reasonable? Is that expecting too much? That a person should be able to answer the question, how would you describe the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus? How would you do that? And there has been countless people, countless, I've asked this question of many people, who have asserted themselves as being mature in Christ Jesus, as having great faith, and they fail to be able to answer this kind of a question. This frustrates me a little bit, even after all these years. It's been many years since I've asked this question of so many people. But I want you to consider the fact that as a person grows in Christ Jesus, when a person grows in Christ Jesus, this this doesn't necessarily mean that the longer they have been a believer the more they have grown. You can very easily have a Christian who has been a Christian for 30, 40 years, and yet they are just as immature as a new believer in Christ Jesus who just got saved five minutes ago. It can easily happen. I've seen it happen. I've witnessed this. I've practically interrogated people desperately trying to find some evidence that maybe they've got a little bit more faith than what they claim that they have. There's got to be something there, I think to myself. There's got to be something more, but no. In many cases, it turns out that their faith is small, that their faith is little, that they don't really believe, they don't really trust. Now, in many cases, one of the obstacles that people face is the fact that they believe other things that are not true, that overwhelm those things that they believe that are true. That does tend to be the case that their faith has been overcome by other things that they are believing that are not true. So they may believe one thing that is true, but when they believe something else that is not true, that is in contradiction with that that is true, when they believe two things simultaneously that are not the same and they contradict each other, eventually they will make a choice between the two. And in many cases it turns out to be a choice of convenience based on circumstances, situations, who they're around, things like that. But these are the kinds of things that do prevent people from growing in their faith. Now, in Romans chapter 14, Paul speaks about believers who have weak faith and how we who have strong faith, ought to relate to them, how we should consider them, how we should treat them, and how we should respect them. In Romans chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So Paul says that there are going to be people who believe one thing, and there are going to be people who believe something else within the body of Christ, within the communities of believers, and that we should look at each other, we should consider each other in the state that we are in, and we should respect the level of growth that we have experienced, and not pass judgment on each other and say, you are evil, or you are immature. We don't need to do things like that. Just simply recognize that people are in transition, that we are 
growing in our relationship with Christ Jesus, that he is completing a work that he began. And if he is completing a work that he began, and that means he hasn't completed it yet, and so you should expect to see some evidence to show that he's not done. And this is one of the ways that we can identify this. Now, for a person who is free from the law, which we all are, of course, for a person who is free from the law, it can be easier for that person to relate to another who believes they are bound by that law. It can be much easier for a person to love the other because it is true that our God will not pass judgment against us for the sins that we commit. Now, he has set us free from that so that we can actually have a relationship with him. He doesn't set us free from that so that we can go out and commit sin without any concern of consequence. That's not what that is about at all. But when we recognize that we have been set free to the extent that it really doesn't matter what we eat or what we don't eat, when we understand that, that he has set us free from those things for other purposes, then it's easier for us to relate to those who believe that they need to be concerned about what they are eating or not eating. It is easier for us to relate to them in a loving way, respect them and say, okay, brother, if this is what you believe, then that's fine. That's okay. If you want to believe that, you can believe that. And it can be easier for us to say, and I will also subject myself to what you believe while we're eating together, because I'm not only free to eat whatever I want, but I am also free not to eat all of these things. I am free to follow these laws as you want to follow them. I am free to do that as well. He's not going to judge me because I subject myself to the law. When an individual is resting in the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of God and the freedom that he has called us to, it's easy to do that. However, when an individual has weak faith, weak faith in the sense that they believe that God is holding their sins against them and that he requires them to be obedient to whatever dietary laws they believe they are to be obedient to, then how are they going to relate to those who we would obviously classify as mature believers who have strong faith, who have overcome a lot of these obstacles and who are living their lives according to the reality of the forgiveness of sins? How will the weak individual the individual who has weak faith, how will they relate to the mature believer? They will not be able to relate to them in the same way. They won't be able to do that. They are going to have to pass judgment against this individual because they believe that God is judging them personally. So, of course, God is going to judge this other person. So, I want you to see that it is difficult for an individual who has weak faith to observe what Paul has written in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. It's very, very difficult. First of all, because it's obvious, it's clear that the one who has strong faith is not held in bondage to these laws. And so when an individual when an individual who believes they are in bondage to these laws reads a passage like this or hears a passage like this, they're going to have to concede first that they are the ones who have weak faith and that the other person has strong faith and that it is inappropriate for them to pass judgment on those who have strong faith. 
it's going to be very difficult for them to concede that, to consider that. They're going to have to go through some gymnastics of some kind in order to get through these verses and to be able to pass judgment on the individuals who apparently in their mind have weak faith but in reality have strong faith. So when it comes to the dietary laws, the Sabbath law, it doesn't matter what law it is. When it comes to these things, an individual may still be held in bondage by these things and still believe in the Lord Jesus. This can happen very easily. In fact, I've known many people who have lived according to grace for a while and then they put themselves in subjection to the law. I personally believe it's because they never really understood what grace was about to begin with, and when I have questioned people about these kinds of things, that always turns out to be the case, in my opinion. But what I want you to consider is that the body of Christ is composed of immature believers, mature believers, people who have weak faith, who are not really responding to the truth that God has revealed, either because they don't understand it, they don't know it, or they are just hesitating, they're not really trusting God concerning these things quite yet that the body of Christ is composed of a variety of individuals. And so if you are an individual who does have a certain degree of maturity, then relate to others with respect. Relate to others understanding the condition that they are in and allow them the freedom. Allow them the freedom to experience the bondage that they have placed themselves under and allow the law to have its work in their lives and allow the Lord to complete the work that he began. And of course, if an individual passes judgment on me, and they are very aggressive about it, I have been known on occasion to point this out to them and say, listen, from my point of view, you're the person who Paul is talking about here, the person who has weak faith. And so, let me be judged by my God. I am an individual, as is described here, who has strong faith. Let my God, who is my master, work with me personally. I stand because of what he has accomplished for me. He is able to make me stand firm in my faith because I understand what he has done, the implications of it. And just because you don't believe what I believe, that doesn't mean that I'm not still a part of the body of Christ. And the same for you. And when we relate to each other in this way, there can be more opportunities for us to live in peace with each other and work together as we work with our God building his kingdom. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.